So this, this Sunday is special for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, we're going to be having baptisms today uh, as a part of this service. I remember at the beginning of the summer saying something about, wouldn't it be lovely if we had just ongoing baptisms throughout the summer? And it, it seems like the Lord is, is honoring that request. Uh, there's baptisms a few weeks ago and uh, again today, so praise the Lord. Uh, also, this is what we're calling here at Restoration. This is a launch Sunday. Next Sunday is this as well, when we, we kick off this next ministry year. And so after the service, I'm going to invite you to come downstairs uh, into the fellowship hall, join us for uh, pretzels and, not pretzels, why did I say pretzels? Nothing says Sunday church fellowship more than pretzels, I guess. Uh, donuts and coffee. Um, maybe we can find some pretzels if that really, uh, really hits the spot for you. Um, but anyway, also downstairs, we invite you to uh, look around the tables. There's going to be um, folks around the tables with like various sign-up sheets and whatnot to learn more about what the church is doing. Uh, and we encourage you to sign up. Um, you'll see that there's opportunities with like Sunday teams, with service teams, mission teams. Um, but not just to sign up uh, for things that the, the church is already doing, um, but we want to hear from you as well. Uh, we want to know what sort of things do you want to study this year? Uh, what sort of ways do you want to grow in your spiritual disciplines? What are some missional things that you're involved in now and you want the church to come alongside you and, and hear more about and support you in those pursuits? Um, so please do consider coming downstairs and sharing with us more of your heart and considering the various needs and ministries that are here at Restoration as well. So as, as I look to this next ministry year, uh, it, it's been a moment for me to, to try to quiet my heart and just ask the Lord, what are you calling me into personally this year? But also as a pastor and as our pastoral team, we're asking the question, what is, what is restoration being called into this year? I mean, it's no secret that it's been a pretty tumultuous past couple of years uh, for a variety of reasons. And so I don't know about you, but I, I feel like these last several years, uh, it's like my mind has been shaken and my heart has been shaken. And the feeling is that as we go into this next ministry year, it, it, it does feel like the Lord is providing a bit of peace for us. And so what do we do in the midst of that? How do we respond to that? How do we act as, as good stewards to the things in which the Lord has blessed us with? I mean, one, one positive thing that's happened is the gift of this building. I mean, how incredible that, that that dear Lutheran congregation gave us this building for just $1, you know? And I feel like now that we've, we've settled into this space, uh, one of the things that we have to ask is, well, now what do we do with this? What do we do with this great and tremendous gift that the Lord has given us? And as I speak with many of you, I, I hear about um, gifts and responsibilities and ways in which the Lord has blessed you. And so it's, I also ask the question to you, how might you uh, use these things that the Lord is giving you, um, not just for your own enjoyment, uh, but for the edification of the flock and for the mission of the church, for the witness of Jesus Christ? So as I've been thinking about these things, um, I, I feel like the Lord has been calling me into a place of, of remembrance. Uh, a place of remembering why it is that, that, that I am a Christian. Uh, what, what is it that, that pulled me into the faith? Um, how is it that the Holy Spirit um, directed me to, to love Jesus more? And so I wonder, as we move into this ministry year, what sort of foundational basics of our faith might you be invited to return to? Maybe it's something that you've forgotten long ago. 
You know, maybe it's, it's, a, it's a spiritual discipline or, or, or uh, yeah, some kind of spiritual discipline that you need to return to. Um, what sort of Christian values might reignite your heart that you haven't necessarily dove deeply into lately? So as I think about these things, and as I looked at the, the passages for this Sunday, I was struck by that passage from Romans this morning, when Paul starts off by saying, let your love be genuine. And I just feel like, man, these, these last years, it's, love has been sparse. <laughs> love has been hard to find, hasn't it? As we kind of look across the world and whatnot, and, and it's even been a challenge for me, I would say. So what does it look like to have love be genuine? Um, I want to move through this passage actually very quickly. Uh, probably as you heard it read this morning, you, you probably saw all of these elements of love that were jumping out to you. I mean, depending how you count it, you know, there could be 12 or 15 or, or 20 different aspects of love. I'm not going to go through all 20 aspects of love. Um, maybe in your small groups or your car ride home or something, you could, you could count all of these things. But I see uh, seven marks of love that jump out to me here that I would love for us to, to pour a little bit more into this morning. And I want to do so keeping in mind that Christian love is far different and deeper and stronger than anything that this world offers. Because our love is rooted first and foremost in the God who is love and who has demonstrated that most clearly by sending a son into the world and dying on our behalf upon the cross that is when we see the glory and the love of God most radiant, most beautiful, most powerful. And so from that, we then are called into love ourselves, uh, into a loving relationship with God ourselves, but then also to love one another as God has loved us. So how does this look? What are these elements of love that we can draw from this passage? Well, the first one I've already mentioned, which is let your love be genuine. Let your love be genuine. And some scholars would translate this as let your love be sincere or let your love be real is what they would say. The original language says let your love be without hypocrisy. And I think that the, the point that we're gleaning from this is that there's a temptation for love to be theatrical, to fake your love, right? Uh, there's a temptation for us to, to kind of put on a show of love or an air of love so that we can somehow manipulate those around us to do the things that we want them to do, right? And so that's why Paul says that's not how the church is to behave. We are to pursue love, to root ourselves in the love of Christ so that our love for one another can be real, can be genuine, so that when we look one another in the eyes and say, I love you, that this, the Spirit attests to the reality of that truth. So firstly, let your love be genuine. Secondly, there in verse 9, Paul says, Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Some translations use even uh, stronger language. They'll say, hate what is evil and cling to that which is good. Well, what does this mean for us here? Well, I think what it means is that Christian love is not just this kind of fluffy, baseless, aimless love. No, it's, it's rooted in, in knowing the difference between good and evil. And what Christian love does is it points us to that which is good, supremely in the character of Jesus Christ and the righteousness that he shows us. You know, the world says things like, you do you and just be yourself and follow your heart. And those are, those are lovely messages for Disney movies. You know, they're great. They, they make good songs and stuff like that. But that, that's not what Christian love is. The Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful. And that we, we can't trust our desires 
all the time. That's why we're supposed to be in community with one another so that our friends and our, and our brothers and sisters in Christ can redirect us to the good of Jesus Christ, to follow him and the righteousness that he demonstrates for us. You know, the people in my life who've loved me well are people who notice when I'm kind of curved in on myself and they know when I'm, I'm talking about me, 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 and I, 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 and the, the people who've loved me well are people who can help me stand up straight and fix my gaze towards the cross, to fix my gaze towards the righteousness and the goodness of Jesus Christ. And that's what true Christian love does. It points us up towards goodness. All right, that, that, was, that was a long one of the seven. Uh, the others are going to go pretty quickly, so um, buckle up. <laughs> so thirdly, we're told that we're supposed to outdo one another in showing honor. So I, I had a, a spiritual mother in my life who, uh, she hated competition, and she would always say things like, competition does not belong in the household of, of God. But I, I read this passage here, and I, I'm sorry, but I think Paul disagrees. Uh, he says here in verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. It's like there's this competition of respect that's supposed to happen among God's people to go out of your way to dish out compliments to one another and to build up one another. May this be a place that builds up respect and kind speech to one another, never tearing one another down. Love shows honor. In verse 12, we, we see this pairing of being hopeful and also being patient. You see, what the Christian does is the Christian is hopeful. Again, this kind of gets towards the, the aim or the, the, the end game of what love is directing us towards. Christian love understands the reality that Jesus Christ is going to come again and make all things new. And he's going to glorify all of us. Sin will be finally purged from our hearts and from our lives. We'll be glorified. We'll be like Christ. And so what love does is it draws all of us up towards that aim, towards that direction, that, that direction, that destination of glory. That's what Christian love is supposed to do. It's supposed to paint for one another what that picture is. You know, pointing out things like that behavior does not define you. That, that doesn't have hold over you. That doesn't have power over you. You have been bought with the blood of Christ and so therefore pursue him and, and the glory that he has for you. Christian love is hopeful. But we also see why this pairs with patience, right? Because the Christian journey is often two steps forward, three steps back, right? And so we're, we're gracious one, with one another. We're, we're patient with one another. We're patient with one another, but also it means that we can endure hard things because we know that there is a day in which Jesus is going to come back and make all things new. So fourthly, love is hopeful. So fifthly, and this one's one of my favorites because it's, it's also one of the values of restoration, but love calls us to hospitality. But you notice there in verse 13 when Paul says, be hospitable. He doesn't just say it like that. He says, seek to show hospitality. Some translations say, pursue hospitality. And that original word there for seek or pursue, it's, it's actually much more stronger and vibrant than that. The word is to, to bring something about rapidly or quickly. It's like you're hunting after something. You're engaging it. You're, you're pursuing it. And the idea is that Christian love just doesn't sit around and, and sort of wait for hospitality to come our way but we are actively pursuing it. One of the, the church fathers, Origen, says this. He says, we don't just receive strangers, but actually we inquire after them. We look carefully for the strangers and we pursue them, lest they may sit in the streets or lie without a roof over their heads. 
So I wonder, especially as we, uh, as, as the holiday season is right around the corner, I wonder what sort of ways we, Restoration, can actually pursue hospitality, uh, to pursue it eagerly and quickly and rapidly. So sixth, Paul says in verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. There's so much that we could say about this, right? And even in, this, in the second half of this passage, it, uh, Paul unfolds this more and more and more. And this, this is one of those radical forms of love in the Christian church. Uh, I read one quote by Aristotle. I, I wish I had written it down. But he, he actually commends taking vengeance upon your, your enemies. He says, that is the noble thing to do is to take, to take vengeance because a noble man would not allow himself to be beaten is what Aristotle says. But here in, the, in, that, in this ancient word, ancient world, we have these beautiful words from Paul, echoing words from Jesus to bless those who persecute you. Now, just a little clarification. Sometimes passages like this have been weaponized in the church, haven't they? Like you, you might hear of someone who's been told to actually put up with abuse and allow that to happen, right, as, as a way of blessing someone. And that's, that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul wants you to find a a safe distance from dangerous situations. So this isn't license to allow yourself to be hurt by people. So find a safe distance, but then pray for those who persecute you, to seek their welfare before the Lord, to ask the Lord to transform their hearts, because only he can. So who are the enemies in your life? Maybe it's a coworker who betrayed you. Maybe it's a family member who's disowned you. Maybe it's a neighbor who steals from you or something. I don't know. But how can you pray for that person's welfare? How can you seek their blessing? So, seventh and and finally, and again, this isn't a comprehensive list. I hope you're, you're gathering that. But in verse 16, Paul says, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. You know, the temptation for us as Christians is, is, you know, because there's a certain pride that comes with pursuing righteousness, right? Like it, it, there's like a self-righteous pride that can come up from that or, or perhaps we can kind of gloat and, and view ourselves as being better than others because of the, the things that God has done in our life as if, as if we somehow can take ownership of that. That's not the kind of love that the Bible calls us to. Christian love is humble. It's not snobbery. It's not snobbish at all. I mean, the snob is obsessed with questions of status. The snob wants to know who's in and who's out. The snob wants to sort people into upper class and lower class, right? Like, that's, that's constantly what the snob does. But Christian love is modeled after Jesus Christ, who breaks bread with sinners, who is a friend to the poor, who is a friend to people like you and people like me. Jesus Christ our humble king who eats with sinners and tax collectors, right? That's, this is the king who we serve. He is the humble one. So brothers and sisters, may our love be genuine. May our love point to goodness. May our love be honorable. May it be hopeful and hospitable. May love give blessing. May love be humble as well. May we pursue these things. May this actually restoration be a community that is known and marked by its love. I was having a conversation with someone who's, who's been a longtime member here at Restoration, and I said, what, what, would, you, what would be your advice for Restoration? Having, having walked with Restoration for no, so long and having known this community, and he's heard me talk about church planting a lot, and he says, you know, it, it, 
it seems like a, a lot of uh, pastors are, are really concerned with church planting. And that's, that's good. This place would not exist if it wasn't for people who had sent us out and had a passion for church planting. And he said, but more than just the number of churches that you've been planted, what would it look like for restoration to be a community that is marked by love? What if that was our reputation in this neighborhood? Oh, that's the church that loves well, that's not selfish, that doesn't gloat, that doesn't hoard things, that's not prideful, but instead it is marked by these things that forms our, our shape and our character after the cross of Jesus Christ. So may we, be, may we return to a biblical, godly, beautiful love. Please pray with me, brothers and sisters. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the God of love. You are the one who came down to earth while we were still sinners and rebelling against you. You and your abundant mercy stepped into our world. You, you took human flesh upon yourself. You, you lived a life that we ourselves could not live. You pushed in. You got close to us. You showed us what true love looks like. Supremely, Lord, you did this upon the cross, paying a price that we ourselves never could. So, Lord Jesus, we also thank you that the story doesn't end there, that you defeat death, that you rose from the grave. And now, from the throne of heaven, you, you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, enabling us, empowering us to live that life that you have lived. So, Lord Jesus, pour your Spirit into us afresh. Give us hearts, Lord, that are like yours, that love the poor, the vulnerable, and the weak around us, that love one another well, that that are able to, to weep with those who weep and to, to sing with those who sing, Lord, to laugh with those who laugh. May restoration truly be a community that is marked by your love, Jesus Christ. And it's in your powerful and beautiful name that we pray all of this. Amen.